Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today on the Dan's Papers podcast is Lenny Ackerman, a local East Hampton attorney and uh, land developer who's very prominent in town uh, and who's written a very interesting book. I'll let him tell about it, but before we get to that, Lenny, uh, just tell us a couple of projects that you've developed along the way. I know the one right on the main street of Bridgehampton by the monument, where you built this beautiful replica of a, of a, of a white mansion, which is now a medical place. But name a couple of other projects you've done so people will remember what you've done. Well, one of the longest projects that took me to reach completion was the construction of the CVS drugstore in East Hampton on Montauk Highway. That took 11 years of permitting uh, before before various boards, neighbor opposition and the like. And then of course, one of the public projects that I'm most proud of is um, the development of Poxabog and the sale of Poxabog to East Hampton and Southampton town. And it's become a wonderful public facility now. That was also an interesting project that was fraught with some controversy. Um, the neighbors were opposed to the enlargement of Poxabog, you know, night lighting, a miniature golf course and the like. And I was forced to file a development plan for that. And ultimately the town um, bought it from me. Dennis Suskind was instrumental when he was, I believe he was supervisor of Southampton at the time. He was instrumental in bridging that controversy and getting both the town of East Hampton and Southampton to join in that purchase. So that's one of the more public projects. And right now I'm very proud to be working on a project um, for Project Most, to develop Project Most and hopefully uh, see Project Most to have a permanent facility to uh, help with after-school children, sort of following in the footsteps of my friend Eleanor Whitmore, who did uh, the Whitmore Center. I think it's really important that we have more public facilities. You know, as as you know, Dan, I I worked closely with uh, David Silver when he was developing uh, with Andy Sabin, the rec center. And I think after spending most of my life, both professionally and, and you know, um, as an adult in East Hampton, I think it's incumbent upon us all to give back to the community and uh, the rec center and the Project Most project and um, the retreat, which my, my late wife was very active in. Those are those were really important for me. And th- those are the kind of development projects that I'm proud of. And now there's this book, actually, it's a collection of columns that uh, you are writing for a newspaper in California in a small town of 300 people. Yes. That's a very interesting story. And I 
wanted to uh, ask you, you've collected them into a book. I've read some of the columns, they're quite excellent. I'll get back to that a little later, but they're collected in a book called Here Back East. And um, how did it come about? Well, I fish the, um, the Sierras out west. Uh, I'm passionate about uh, trout fishing. And I am familiar with the area. I was there several years ago. And I read a story two years ago in the New York Times about how this, this fellow, Carl Butts, who's the now the editor of the paper, uh, saved the paper from its demise. Uh, this is the oldest California newspaper. Uh, Mark Twain wrote for it. Uh, a lot of very interesting characters have written for it. And I engaged in letter writing. Uh, Carl became my one of my pen pals. We started writing together. We learned we had a lot in co common. We both lost our wives in 2017. Uh, Carl decided to cash in his savings and buy the newspaper and underwrite the newspaper. And I, I decided that if Carl would allow me, I would continue writing the letters that I had been writing to my late wife, which were not published. I would continue writing those. And those letters to my wife, Judy, became the columns that I'm writing now. And basically they tell what I've done, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, where I am, where my head is at. And they reflect um, for Californians, um, someone who lives in the Hamptons, New York City, and Palm Beach, and I have a fishing camp up in Maine. So depending on where I am, I write stories about what I'm doing. I, was, I read one of the columns, which was uh, about what you refer to as going up to camp, which is up right. in Maine, and you had a guide and a canoe, and you fly fishing with water, and uh, just making wonderful observations about the uh, landscape and the weather and and uh, how, how these things re were so relaxing and wonderful. What else are, is in the book? The, how many, and the, the paper is called uh, The Mountain Messenger. Yes, that's right. That's right. And um, I, I was, I can actually, I can uh, read one of them, a piece of it. I think people would be interested in this. Um, I'll read this to you. This is what you wrote. I often fish the morning lonely at camp in the very early hours of the day. Before anyone at camp arises, I head out at the dock and cast off among the rocks where the bass rest, always a short cast with a yellow hopper. A ratty old fly tied by a fisherman of old, handed down to me by his grandkids when they cleaned out the garage for a yard sale. There are plenty of these yard sales in my town now that many of the old families are selling off to New Yorkers who want a piece of the Hamptons. Grandpa's old grease-covered fly box filled with homemade rusty lures and some flies. His grandkids remembered that I fish and they dropped the box off at my office. What an amazing gift. I use them all the time. In fact, I'm trying to duplicate some of them with a beginner's fly tying kit from Orvis. I will fish in the morning only for as long as I can fix in my early morning coffee and walk unassisted down to the dock for the first cast of the day. That's beautiful writing. Thank you. Well, it's all, it's a true story. I, I recently um, 
received the wonderful gift of an old rusty fly box from a, a young couple who were cleaning out their family's garage for sale. And in that was these hand-tied flies. And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and I took them up to camp at Maine, in Maine and I use them, they're absolutely fantastic. You can't replicate them. You know, today the Chinese make all the, all the flies and these old handmade flies made by Bonnikers, um, they work, they, they work incredibly well. They work incredibly well. It's the flies, they've been around a while. Right, well, you know, the, there's, a, there's a poem, uh, the title, uh, Fishing the Morning Lonely is a poem that I quote in that article. I have so many wonderful books on fishing and fishing the morning lonely uh, just grabbed me, you know, of all the pieces that I've written and over the last two years, that's my favorite piece, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's my favorite piece because, you know, up in Maine, Maine is very much like East Hampton was when I first came out and bought, we bought our first house in 1968 on Egypt Lane. You know, it was, it, it was the morning lonely. Uh, we used to go out early. I used to fish on Hook Pond. And then uh, when I moved to Georgia Pond, uh, Jones Creek, or Jones Cove it's called, uh, I used to go out in my canoe and eventually started sailing on the pond. And um, I found that camp up in Maine gave me that same sense of well-being. And, you know, and these these columns kind of you know reflect that, and uh, I appreciate that you enjoy them because, like I've said to you before, Dan, getting a compliment from you is like winning the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> you know, you're you're the you know you're the writer of the Hamptons. You you've written more and reflected more. Oh, I know this is not about you, but you have, Dan. I mean, you're you're an inspiration. You catch phrases and people and instincts and see things that few people know. I mean, reading some of you, your your columns over the years, you know, reflects on the let's call it the circumstances of the Hamptons and what we've gone through. So, what brought you out to the Hamptons initially? I was a young lawyer in New York. Um, I did um, corporate work, mergers and acquisition work and um, an investment banker, um, Herb Golden, who subsequently became president of, um, I think one of the conservation groups out here, had a home on Briar Patch Lane. And he invited my late wife and I out before we had children. And we visited for a weekend in the fall, probably around 1967. And Judy and I took a walk on Georgia Capone, the pond had been let out and we walked the pond and I said, turned to Judy and I said, Judy, someday we're going to own a house on Georgia Capon. And she said, are you crazy? This is the wilderness. Because then it took us like five hours to get out. The Long Island Expressway didn't go all the way out. You had to get off at Riverhead and take the road over to Sunrise. And then in 1968, we bought our first house, a little house uh, called the Card House at 24 Egypt Lane. And... Um, in 1972, I announced in August of 1972 to my wife, my kids were five and three, Karen Brooke. I said, we're going to try living in the Hamptons for a year. I'm going to quit the law firm that I was with. And she said, are you crazy? <laughs> she said, we're going to move out to the Hamptons. And I said, 
let's try it for just a year. And for the first year or so, I worked out of the trunk of my car. That's where my library was in the trunk of my car. And Judy would type contracts up. And um, there was a family that owned Pony Farm Realty, Peggy Collins. He took me in and she used to refer work to me. And um, that's how I started my practice. And I've been there 60 years. So I I made it, so to speak. Well, uh, we've pretty much run out of time. These podcasts are 20 minutes long. And that's uh, wonderful to hear hear your story and thanks for coming and being on this podcast thank you dan it's a pleasure it's a pleasure to see you and say hello to pam for me okay terrific thank you take care of yourself bye-bye